Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go live from Canal Street Market on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Studio. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network, as always. And of course, make sure you go to www.girlsoccernetwork.com, get all the latest news, analysis, merch, lifestyle news, profiles, all the latest stuff that you need to be learning about in the world of women's soccer. We got it covered. So make sure you go check it out. Of course, follow us on Instagram as well, at Girls Soccer Network, or check us out on Twitter, at Girls Soccer Net. And of course, we have a YouTube channel as well, posting a lot of different stuff in, in partnership with Striker Elite Soccer. So be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well, at Girls Soccer Network. So one more important thing to inform you about, of course, before we get into the show, you can access our podcast through Siri rather than having to go through the pain of opening the podcast app so you can either tell Siri to play Give and Go to play my newest podcast, play the first episode of Give and Go if you want to go all the way back to our interview with Sam Kerr, which is one of our more popular downloaded episodes. You can ask Siri what podcast this is in case one of your friends is listening to it, or of course, more importantly, you can subscribe to this show. So be sure to do that. It's time to get into what we're going to talk about for episode 14, and oh my goodness, has there been a lot going on. We're starting to really get into what is a great, great time for women's soccer as we lead up to the World Cup this summer in France. We have all of that going on. There's all types of cups as numerous countries, both in the World Cup and both outside of the World Cup, are really kind of competing intensely with each other. We have more on the She Believes Cup uh, in a little bit, but I also want to tell you about an interview with Alfredo Frito Sainz, the owner of Insane School of Football. Uh, we've got an interview with him. He is most notably known as the trainer for Olivia Moultrie, who you may have also heard of in the news for signing a professional contract. So we have all of that later on in the show. But as I mentioned, the She Believes Cup, we have plenty of NWSL news. We have a lot to go over Uh so without further ado, let's get right into it. Now, the United States women's national team, through two games currently from the time that we are recording this podcast, obviously they have a big game against Brazil coming up on Tuesday, but two of their tougher opponents in Japan and England, I don't even know what to say. I, I am just in utter disbelief that we are this close to the tournament and Jill Ellis is still doing this. And... I understand you have injuries. I understand that Lindsay Horan is out, and she is the ideal person to put in the midfield alongside Julie Ertz. But, you know, there's really there really is no excuse when there are still better options sitting over on the bench and you're still starting younger players. I don't know if it's to give them more experience or not, but let's, you know, let's discuss. The first match against Japan, right? A game that they were fully in control of, but never were quite able to put away the Japanese, who also have high expectations. Nine of their players have never even suited up for Japan before. And it says a lot about where they where they are tactically, because they were able to show a ton of quality in the final third with two great goals at the, at the expense of the United States. Uh, serious, I mean, there's no excuse for why the United States were unable to put them away. When you look at how it went, Tobin Heath was the star on the right-hand side. I mean, what she was able to do to those Japanese defenders, it, it was clear that 
the way that the Japanese were set up tactically, that they were uh, not going to allow her space. And that's how it was for the first 15 to 20 minutes of that game until, of course, it took a quick succession of passes. Started with Julie Ertz, who cleared multiple defenders with a pass to Pugh, and, and Mallory Pugh was able to get Heath the ball where she needed to in space, and, and that's where she thrives, and that's when she's absolutely at her best. Uh, was able to put multiple defenders on skates before putting the ball across the box and giving Pino a tap-in. So uh, really, you know, it was a great start to the game, and I don't think anybody could have complained with, with how things were going. Uh, and then that's when Japan got back in it. Tierna Davidson uh, trying to one-time on a clearance. She, uh, I mean, look, it's a tough, tough clearance, right? And we are expecting a lot of her and, and what she's capable of because she's made the transition so incredibly seamless. But at the same time, this was one of the few mistakes that she's made, and the ball went right to the Japanese defender, Imi Nakajima, who curled the ball around beautifully uh, with, you know, with a little bit, with not much time and space. And so, again, you're thinking, all right, the United States, they're going to get a goal. It's going to be fine. Uh, they're going to be able to walk out of here as winners. And sure enough, yes, that is when Kristen Press was able to come in and impact the game as well as she did working uh, against defenders again on that same right sideline and was able to find Alex Morgan, who brilliantly chested home uh, a goal for goal number 99. And again, so close to goal number 100. But it seemed like at that point, again, that the United States would be able to, to pull away and get the job done. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Later on in the match, again, just poor defending. Un I mean, just players running unmarked in the box just not aware of what's going on whether it's Dahl Kemper Davidson you know that center back pairing was the center back pairing that was able to get the job done at the last she believes cup but this year it's been a completely different story completely different story and not just in this game but in the England game which we will get to in one second but for Japan to uh, executed the way that they were in that final third with their dribbling and their, and their ability to work in tight spaces. That's something that you just don't see um, very often. from, And that's what makes Japan very unique in that they have that kind of technical quality and, and they brought it to display um, against the United States and were able to get a huge result. And so, you, and so again, changes needed to be made. You definitely felt like Mallory Pugh and Rose Lavelle in the midfield they're wingers, right? They are not meant to be in the midfield, and sure, it works against lower-level teams, but I don't see how that factors in when you're playing three top-ten teams in the world in this competition, and I think they learned that the hard way because after England came from behind to beat Brazil, Beth Mead, an absolute rocket of a shot in the 75th minute to give them a winner um, after Ellen White had already equalized, Marta converted a penalty in the first half earlier in that match. So England were top of the table heading into their showdown this past weekend. And it was a big game, nationally televised game, of course, on Fox with the whole world watching. I mean, it was, it was, I would be curious to see what the ratings were on that game because they, they were definitely uh, all eyes were on this game. And again, a 2-2 draw. And I just can't wrap my head around how seeing the team sheet again it was literally unchanged other than adriana french who i've been calling on for so long and finally she gets her first cap and i think it was well deserved 
Uh, she did make a mistake, right? There were nerves involved in that first ever cap. She did make a mistake, and we'll get to that in a second. But I want to get back to what Jill Ellis is doing. I, I still don't get how Mallory Pugh, who is fully capable of just taking on defenders on the wing with her dribbling and what she is fully capable of, right? She's not a passer. She has not at one point to me shown that she can pick out a pass like Sam Mewis. And the same goes with Roosevelt. They are great dribblers. They can work in tight spaces. They can fly down the sideline. That is their strength, getting around defenders with their pace. They need to be on the wings. Obviously, they're not going to see the field because you have Heath and Rapino in those spots, but that doesn't mean that neither one of them can come off the bench as a sub and and provide an impact. Like, Can you imagine what Rose and Mallory would bring off the bench, say, after 50, 60 minutes, and then you're still caught in a similar situation? Defenses are going to be on their heels. They're, they're going to be incredibly worried about the pace that those two bring and the threat that they bring on those sides of the field I mean good luck stopping that good luck but you know you have him in the midfield they they were not able to link up play all that well Rose missed a couple of passes Mallory Pugh was complacent uh, she was the one who when you know Megan Rapino put the United States on top with a cracking volley I mean what a volley what a goal right to to really get things started and it seemed like the United States uh would again in in a position of command uh but three minutes later it wasn't that long until Mallory Pugh sends back this abomination of a pass that literally goes in up in the air in between the the right back and the center back so Kelly O'Hara and Abby Dahlkemper and both of them point back to Adriana French as if okay this is this is keeper's ball and and no one you know it, it was a ball that was close enough to either one of them to where the defenders probably could have handled it but they didn't want to they didn't want to take the initiative to go after it and so when French came for it she must have assumed that it wasn't a, an intentional pass back so she picks the ball up and sure enough it was a pass back I mean no one touched the ball Right, it is going back to the keeper. I don't really think that the ref had much of a choice when you know it's indirect calls are so rare in in the modern game. But when it happens, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that referees are looking for it. But like, if the opportunity is there to call it, it's going to get called, and that's exactly what happened. And yeah, you can say French was nervous in a big game. You know, she still played decently well. Didn't have a ton to look at in in, in front of goal, but. I don't know, just that careless of a pass in that situation, to me, I I don't think people are talking more about what Mallory Pugh was doing in in these two games. Not a great showing for her at all, to be quite frank. And then Steph Houghton, what an absolute blinder of a curling shot. I mean, indirect free kicks from those angles. It was at a, actually, considering where most indirect free kicks are, Right, that it actually was a decently set up angle around the penalty area, around the penalty spot, you know, from from the left side. So it gave her a perfect angle to kind of curl this ball. She still had a lot to do because French is so athletic that I think she herself would have assumed that she would have had it covered. But you know, the England captain put it in the exact spot that it needed to go in. So credit to her for for what was again an amazing goal and 
that is the one common theme of the She Believes Cup right now, that all these teams have come to play, and the quality of the finishing has been top-notch, as, as one would expect um, when you're playing in a competition of this magnitude. So when you look at overall how the game went, right, it was 1-1 going into halftime in the second half. Again, United States didn't seem like... Uh, they came out as a cohesive unit and sure enough they get gashed again Fran Kirby with an absolutely genius flick on to Nikita Paris who is otherwise known as Keats right uh one of the most dangerous finishers in the world the all-time leading goal scorer in the FAWSL you know stuck at home and again it's 2-1 and all of a sudden you start starting to get a little worried like, are England going to be able to see this through? Phil Neville seemed like he had a no-nonsense attitude going into this game, and I think he'll be very, he would, would, would have been very pleased to see the team sheet and see Lavelle and Pugh in there because, again, the moment Sam Mewis comes in the game, the moment Sam Mewis comes into the game, it completely flipped. She's already trapping the ball, picking her head up, looking at what kind of pass she can execute in order to open things up in the midfield and immediately Rapino was able to create a chance on one of her first touches uh, in, in, in terms of Sam Mewis's first touches so it's it's crazy to me that Sam Mewis is on the bench and I understand that Carly Lloyd you know may not be able to give a full 90 minutes but that doesn't mean that she can't give you 60 or 70 I don't think she's meant to be a super sub she's the kind of player who needs to be fully into the game you can't expect her to come in with like 10 15 minutes left and expect her to have an impact this would have been the perfect game for her without with Lindsay Horan out and if you're not going to play Mewis as the third midfielder you need another creator you need someone who can both pass and score to support Julie Ertz and that is Carly Lloyd so for me, if if the midfield was was Lloyd, Mewis, and Ertz, you know they would have. There's no way they'd lose. There's absolutely no way. I don't understand what this decision making process is uh, in terms of just let's just try it out. I don't know what Jalelis is thinking. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't like why when the best options are clearly on the bench. Like it, it doesn't take rocket science to see who fits better with who and i'm just trying to act like you know i know what's going on in you know in in that camp and and what they're working on tactically but none of it worked none of it worked there was no cohesiveness in that midfield and yeah the the defense isn't going to always be that great you know again under, understandably becky sauerbrunn was not in there and the second she's not in there especially over the last couple games right that she hasn't been in the game the defense has not looked as sharp. They have not looked as sharp. And Dahl Kemper, uh, who has normally been pretty reliable, was not. Ellen White almost made it 3-1. Probably should have made it 3-1 because she picked Dahl Kemper's pocket. And that probably would have been game. That probably would have been game. And the United States would have been completely eliminated from contention. So, you know, a tough, tough go again. Because, again, this isn't the best team that they're putting out. I don't under like... Why are they not putting the best team out there in order in order to win? You know, I and I've said this in the past, they do need to try different things in order to see if they can win in different situations. 
and this is one of those cases, and they were simply unable to do it. They simply could not get Alex Morgan the service that she needed to do what she does best. Everyone knows how to stop her. Everyone knows what to do, right? They fully understand that if she has the ball at her feet, she's incredibly dangerous, but if she doesn't, you can neutralize her. She's isolated all up top, all by herself. There's not much that she can do, and it's something we've seen with the Orlando Pride, and it's something that may or may not carry over to the United States women's national team. If, if you can isolate her up top and make sure that she doesn't get touches and get into the game, you can stop the United States. Yes, the, like they're so complete in, in all facets. They're such a complete team, but you can't just throw random pieces together and expect it to stick. You really just can't. There still has to be some form of team play, and that was not the case at all. And so now, right, with Japan, again, handling Brazil 3-1, uh, the United States really are out of, con you know, it's out of their control now. They do not control their own destiny anymore in terms of the She Believes Cup. Uh, they are the defending champions from last year. And it doesn't look like they're going to, you know, they have to beat Brazil by two goals or more. And and based on the way that Brazil has looked, that's uh, in all likelihood going to happen. Because other than Marta, that team just does not look the same. And I said the same thing on the last episode. They are going to, they are likely a team, if they don't get it together quick, they're going to be out in the first round. And it's going to be catastrophic for that nation that is very passionate about football um, they're not going to be happy with how they do. I mean, I'm not sure if they're going to have what it takes to even get out of that group, despite their ranking, despite what they are. They just don't have that level of cohesion as a team. So expect the United States to get the result they need there, but they also need Japan and England to tie because all it takes is is one. And if England wins or Japan wins that matchup, they move to seven points and win the cup, and then you and then you, the United States finishes runners up. So we'll see how it plays out. Again, these matches will be on Tuesday, so we'll see. I'll, uh, it'll be a fun, fun uh, day to see how how it all goes down. But but uh, yeah, not I'm not pleased at all with how this is going with the United with with the United States team and w what they're doing and how it's going. Uh, it needs to be. I mean, quite frankly, it needs to be better. The standard that they have set for themselves, right? I know that they will be disappointed that they have two draws in two games when, again, they literally did not lose for an entire year and a half, right? They had, like, the perfect lineup, and all of a sudden, Jalelis changes it up again. Like, for what reason? Like, for what reason? Is she bored? That's, the on that's like, one of the few th things that I'm thinking about. She must just be bored. This is one of the best teams that they've ever put together period period and there's no excuse for when they look if the best team is out there if the best team is truly out there on the pitch and they gave their all and certain things didn't go their way then fine we can live with that we can live with that they did their best but this was not a that was not the case in either of these two games they did not play their best at all they did not look their best other than megan rapino who was tremendous, right? Alex Morgan, great in the first game, but not as great in the second. The defense wasn't great. Julie Ertz means everything to this team. Julie Ertz literally means everything to this team. If she is not in that number six role, yeesh, 
the team looks completely different. It looks completely different. There's, there is no one to link up play between back to front. Sam Mewis can also play that role, but I don't think Jill Ellis is going to give her a chance to start in that role at all. So, you know, it is what it is. We'll see how, how it goes in, in the last match, but don't expect um, it, it's going to take a lot for the United States to be able to win the She Believes Cup in, in a competition that, you know, they host. And it was kind of created to, I wouldn't necessarily say compete with the Algarve Cup, but you can definitely argue that in order to get all of the the television the money the advertising involved right you bring a cup to america with some incredibly competitive teams and and get more exposure and and create that hype around the team this is what they wanted this is definitely the point of it because the algarve cup isn't even televised here in america you can't watch it anywhere you know no one knows what's going on in the results of those games you have to really be uh, a hawk on Twitter to know what's going on uh, in, in that world, in that realm over in Portugal. And then you have the Cup of Nations as well, which is currently going on where we have, you know, New Zealand, Australia, and you've got kind of like the Oceanic and uh, Pacific region of the world kind of have their own tournament as well. So, you know, more and more tournaments are popping up. The whole point of this was to really have the United States kind of flex their muscles and show, you know, how great they are. The one thing I will say, though, is how awesome it was, you know, and the whole message behind the tournament, the She Believes Cup, right? I mean, it is a uh, a tremendous thing to continue to empower uh, young girls and, and just women in general in this way. Um, the way that they had each player picked a woman that inspired them on their uh you know, that has inspired them over the course of their careers and, and, and of their lives. And there were some pretty, pretty cool ones. Kristen Press picking uh, Sojourner Truth. Obviously, Alex Morgan picky, a, picking Abby Wambach. Uh, my favorite was Tobin Heath picking Doris Burke. Doris Burke is one of the best uh, commentators in the game, in the NBA. She, uh, you know, she as a woman uh, uh, going up against, not going up against, but working with men, she truly is one of the best in the business. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other names. Becky Sauerbrunn wearing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, that was pretty awesome. The one that made absolutely no sense to me, though, was Ashlyn Harris uh, picking Cardi B. And this is something that um, uh, our editor-in-chief, Danny, brought up. And I thought it was a very good point. I don't think that – I'm still trying to think and put it together how Ashlyn Harris is inspired by Cardi B. But um, some other great names. Serena inspired Crystal Dunn. Um so, yeah, that was really, really cool. And just the overall message behind the tournament uh, is tremendous. I also saw after the first match Hope Solo tweet out that she didn't like the name, like sh that it shouldn't be she believes, like if only she believes and how is everyone else going to believe or something along those lines. And that and I was just like, all right, like <laughs> I, I, I she really if she wants to paint herself as the villain continuously like she can continue to do that i don't understand i don't agree personally with with how she how she worded it and how she pretty much just said yeah we need it why can't it just be a regular cup why does it have to be uh she believes cup but like you have so many other cups going on you have to do something to to make it stand out like what do you call it the the united states the u.s cup like i don't know what else you would call it that would make it um, there already is the tournament of nations there already is the cup of nations so you got to come up with something original how are you gonna like what else 
I don't see Hope Solo coming up with any other ideas for making it more more legit, right? It's bringing in awareness and an attraction and and the ability to to look at what's going on in the world of women's soccer. So, all right, whoo, the She Believes Cup. We're closing the chapter on that. We'll see. Again, we'll see how it goes for the United States women's national team in their last game. But now, a word from our sponsor, Striker Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, the curriculum at Striker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Striker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience. Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. Again, I've said this time and time again. They are doing some great stuff over at Striker Elite and you know, the work that they've done with Carly Lloyd in order to set up, uh, they set up a camp there recently, which was so cool. Uh, they're doing some great work and, and we're happy to be in partnership with them. Okay, it is that time. It is special, special interview with Frito Sainz. Uh, he's, he is really just the nicest guy and someone who genuinely cares about uh, helping others grow and get better as individual soccer players uh so without further ado here it is guys enjoy the interview tell us more about your journey to get to the position that you're in right now and uh what have you planned for yourself as you move forward so with this academy it's funny how it started because it wasn't it wasn't really it wasn't really my plan after after playing abroad and and i went to go train in bolivia and and i like signed with uh Red Bull when right out of high school. So, and that was just a, it was just a, it was like a freestyle thing. You know, we played like teams from all over the country, USL teams. We, we did events and it was, it was really cool. But the thing with that is like, I, I threw away my eligibility to play college because I was getting paid right after high school. So, um, that's how that whole thing started. And then I decided to go play in, in Bolivia, which where, where that's where I was born. And, um, once I moved back, I I wasn't sure if I was going to go back to college or, you know, do whatever. So I just um, started uh, training one kid at a time, like once a week. And uh, from there, just slowly, just through word of mouth, got bigger and bigger. And um, that's how I ended up meeting Olivia, was that way. Um, someone was, someone referred her to me. And, and um, it was funny because, you know, the second... We met, you know, she was the tiniest little kid. I think she was only like six years old at the time. And, and um, the difference about her, the different thing about her and everyone else is um, she was just so smart and mature. 
at such a young age, you know, so interested from the beginning. You know, other kids are like, you know, chasing butterflies and looking around the park, you know. Mm-hmm. But she was always so locked in from day one, like completely locked in, which is, you don't hear that from a girl. You know, it's very, very unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just started training her. You know, the dad was very committed and he um, decided to come three to four times a week. And that was very consistent like it was very rare if they didn't come out for a week i mean they were probably out of town which only happened like twice or three times in the last like six years just crazy um so yeah and then you know started doing that and you know been doing that training and started the academy out here in santa Clarita and been going all over southern california because of that and it's been great so far and would you say you know your relationship with olivia and how you two have kind of almost come up together like describe that relationship and how close you guys are well we're it's funny she's like my she's definitely like my younger sister that's how it became casey's like my older brother the dad you know he's he's helped me with so much and he always gives me so many good pointers and he's they're literally like my family and um and that's just because i got to i got to see them a lot obviously every day and um you know we both we both uh, helped each other a lot, I would say, just in terms of, you know, uh, obviously I helped her with the soccer aspect, and she helped me just become a better coach, you know. Every, everything I do, everything I do to get better is because every training she comes to, I have to make it harder and harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And that's all thanks to her because she just always moves forward so fast. And so, you know, now that all that work's starting to come to fruition, she obviously signed that, uh, you know, deal with Nike and at age 13. And there's naturally a lot of hype surrounding her, both positive and negative. You know, there's people saying that she should be having fun. This is all too soon and that she can't handle the pressure. What would you say to people who who believe believe that about her? Uh, you got to You have to get to know her and her family. They're they're incredibly passionate like I can't even describe how passionate Olivia is she's one of those kids that if we're not if she doesn't get one thing right and not just right it has to be perfect she will not go home she will not go inside she will not do anything it'll bother her forever and she's such a perfectionist so she's been wanting this since she was a kid since she was a child like since she was four years old she's been wanting to play professionally so that was her goal that was her number one thing and i mean that's that was my just to help her get there and her family obviously supported her through everything had given her everything every opportunity her dad drives her miles and miles every single day to the best practice to the most competitive environment and that's why she is where she is and, and if you ask olivia if you talk to her she's one thousand percent in all the time this is what she wants to do so I, I think that if if the kid wants to do it, the kid is really passionate. Why not? You know, why not? You're only gonna get this chance once in your life. Why would you take this away? You know. Absolutely. Uh, so, what would you say it is about your vision as a trainer and as a coach um, that separates you from from others in the same field out there? <clears throat> um, I mean, I think from the beginning, my my biggest thing was. Uh, I I completely stay away from like the game part, you know, like that's not my job. So I'm not a coach. I don't I don't show you the tactical part. 
I'll show you the individual part, what you can do individually as a player to be better and be more skillful and be smarter. So that's what I've always worked on with Olivia is just moves, explosive movements, how to push away players, how to be aggressive, how to, you know, just all that stuff has been something that I've, I've always pushed with all my players. And, and another thing is the examples, you know, anything that kids, kids are such visual learners that they want to see what they see on Instagram. So they want to see what they see on YouTube. So I can do all that stuff when it turns, when it turns up, like freestyling <clears throat> skills, explosive movements, like very uh, just hard tricks. You know, kids want to see that. So when they see it, they're like, "Oh my god, okay, it's it's actually possible." My coach can do it. My trainer can do it. I can do it. You know, so that's that's what pushes kids a lot um, once they're with me, and I think that separates me a lot from everybody else. And what have you been able to take away from your experiences having played uh, in Bolivia and having? played futsal in in terms and how do you bring that to your work it all i think it all stems from my dad my dad did this from a very very young age he was very hard on me um physically and you know skillfully he always made me do all this stuff so growing up i was always always the best at this like the skillful part juggling um and just being very very technical so as I got older, that was my craft. Like that was what I was really good at. I wasn't good at being physical. I wasn't good at that stuff until I got older. Like we're talking like when I was in my twenties, but at a young age, it was something that I was always very, that was my, that was the best thing I could do. Um, so as I got older and as I started playing everywhere, everything I learned became a lot easier because I was so technical and, right when I came back and started this academy, that's like the one thing I wanted to push kids to do is to be the most skillful possible because that's the one thing we lack here. You know, we always go right into, hey, let's just start playing the game and let's just forget about all the fundamentals and and just go right into playing the game and learn tactics. So I think that's like the most important part for me right now. And is there anyone in the world of soccer who has been an inspiration for you or do you try to forge your own path as you continue to go on this journey as, as a trainer? I mean, uh, there's always been players that have just inspired me like a tremendous amount. For example, like Ronaldinho has been just a joy in that guy's face and how skillful he is and how he's never afraid to do anything. Um, and then my, my dad, my dad has always like been my number one. He's always made me want to just get better and everything. I just want to be at least like half the man he was, you know, so uh that's like those are my two inspirations for sure and you you just mentioned uh ronaldinho and how he, i mean he was very uh big in terms of futsal i'm sure you know coming up and i know you're very into that as well could you tell us more about your love for that kind of how you got involved with that and do you think it's something that could become more popular here in america yeah absolutely so i i, I became i started playing futsal Right when I moved to this country, I it was in I was about five years old, and the first thing my dad did was put me in leagues where it was strictly futsal, even if it was with older kids, um, even if it was just playing with an adult league with like my dad's friends and just pickup and stuff like that. But he he just never put me in ASO because he just didn't believe in it, mm -hmm. and um, so I think it's it's very very important, but it's something that 
has to organically happen. Like, I feel like here, it's just become this new, like, fad. And I don't know, everybody wants to create a culture. And you can't do that. You know, it's, it's just got to become as natural as possible. I want kids to do it, but I don't want kids to do it because they have to do it. They have to go out and play on their own. And, like, you know, call up their friends and be like, hey, let's go play pickup at this court and, you know, do this instead of it being so organized. So we've actually had uh, Olivia on the show before, and and she mm-hmm. mentioned you as as obviously being a key influence uh, in in what she's been able to achieve, and how your style is kind of focused around attacking with flair, and as you mentioned, explosive movements. Do you think that's something that we could use a little bit more of when it comes to the style of play here in America? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think I think that's just something we shy away from, just because. You know, we have a lot of old school coaches and just, you know, there's a certain way we have to play and that's the only way we have to play. And uh, I think that's something we definitely need more. But uh, I also, it's something that Olivia and I have worked on since, you know, obviously she was a, a, a child. And and it's, if you're going to be explosive, if you're going to be flary, if you're going to be really good at this stuff, you also have to be a crazy, crazy competitive defender. Because if you mess up, you gotta have you gotta win that ball back and then try it again. So that's like the number one thing I always push on every one of my kids is if you're gonna try this stuff, if you're gonna do it, you have to be insanely competitive to get the ball back. If you mess up or when you mess up, because everybody messes up, so you just gotta be that way. Mm-hmm. Would you ever think about getting into coaching to kind of break this mold of old school coaching and 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 you know and, and everything in that aspect? I do. I, I I always think about that all the time, and I get asked to coach teams. And, and as much as I want to, the only reason that I get away from it is parents and, and you know, dealing with that whole part is because I think if I were to coach, I would want things a certain way, obviously. And mm-hmm. if you're good, you're good. If you're bad, you're bad. You don't play. And, and that just doesn't work in this country at all, you know? Yes. And uh, parents get involved and all that. So that's the only reason I've been, you know, trying to wait from that. But I also, it's like what I do is, is, is what I'm good at. So I'd rather stick with, you know, the skills part and, and helping kids individually because it's just much more rewarding when you help someone instead of like an entire team and, you know, some people don't really learn the same way from you. So when you teach someone individually, it's just, I don't know, it's the most rewarding feeling ever. Before the interview, you mentioned Barcelona and how you're a big fan. Tell us, uh, have they, that style of play been, been an influence in, in how you, how you train? Oh man, their style of play has always been like, uh, one of my biggest things. And it's just because they're, they're, it depends on the player, but, you know, they're all like a one-touch, two-touch, very fast, very smart team. Always have been. But uh, the, there's always players that take a lot of risks, you know. And that has always pushed me to train that way, play that way, teach my kids that way. Um, but, at the, you know, like I said, there's always different players that some players will play one-touch, some players will play two-touch, some players will hold on to the ball a lot. And but they also can make up for it and they'll take risks and they'll take chances. So Barcelona has like really, really since the nineties has really, really helped me, you know, train and become a better player too. All right, Fredo, last question. Uh, if, if people want to check out more of what you do and are interested in working with you, where can they go? 
You can go to www.insanes.com or my Instagram handle is Insanes Train. Again, that was Frito Sains of Insanes Football Academy. And again, if you can go check him out, I highly recommend you do. He's bringing a different style, a different type of attacking flair uh, to the training ranks. And, you know, we wish him the best moving forward. And, of course, the work that he's done with Olivia Moultrie is is pretty crazy to see her growth from where she s- first started at age six, as he mentioned, to age 13 right now. So watching their journey is going to be so incredibly fun. And he said a lot of great stuff, especially in terms of, you know, what, you know, more about what Olivia's decision was to go, to decide to go pro and sign the deal. And I have a lot to say uh, later on in the show. We're saving that for the end so the nwsl has had so much going on in terms of you know players moving around uh players getting signed re-signed and then also traded moved around some players getting cut but a lot to discuss the first thing that i noticed was the houston dash trading for christine nairn someone who had a tremendous season down under in the w league with the melbourne victory they did finish top of the table in the regular season but they were unable to win it all. They did really well, though, and especially her, scoring some great goals, providing some great assists as well. So the fact that Houston really only gave up an international roster spot and some draft picks, um, that is a great deal. James Clarkson, well done. I've been critical of of you cleaning house, but uh, it's very clear that this team is going to have more of an American look and feel to it, and she is a creative enough player to where she's going to be able to to do well I think and I think when you have a veteran presence like her in the locker room with such a young core like and that draft class that they have I think it's going to do wonders for for Houston as as a team I think it's going to be a nice nice move and so yeah Christine Nairn's going to be an important player considering it is a World Cup year and some players will not be on the roster some of the better players will obviously be at the world cup over the summer and it's important that teams accumulate and have depth uh, at certain positions so that there is not a fall off when those players either um you know before and after the world cup because it, it will take up a decent chunk of the season but orlando man what in the world i i don't it's just another head scratcher for me. It's it really makes no sense that you're giving up another one of your better midfielders. You know, it's it's almost as if they forget that they have Marta and Alex Morgan. I'm incredibly worried about this team because as I mentioned earlier, Alex Morgan is a kind of player who needs service. She did not score very often for Orlando last year. Most of her goals literally came because Marta was so great. And if they're just going to rely on that connection, it's not going to work because everyone in the league is going to be like, okay, we stop Marta, we stop Alex Morgan, we win the game. That's pretty much how it works, right? And you have Ashlyn Harrison goal, and you're going to have to be able to beat her too, but she's not going to be able to be superhuman every single game in net. They have done nothing to improve themselves whatsoever. And they needed more draft picks when all they did was use one draft pick on a random midfielder. Uh, none of what they are doing makes sense. And it's it's like in in sports, right? You have 
when you build a great team together that you know you have the ability to compete and you know you have an ability to be really good for a long time, like you have set players in place, it's called you have a window. You have a window of time in which you are going to be really good. Here's the thing with Orlando, though. Their window is has been closing for the last two or three years. You know, Alex Morgan isn't going to stay there forever if if this keeps up. They need to get their act together because Marta has hinted. She put out a cryptic Instagram post a little while back talking about her family and how she wants to take care of them. She could be leaving. Uh, so I don't know. There's so much uncertainty right now. Uh, you know, has Alex Morgan truly committed herself to Orlando? I have no idea. Like, it, they have to be in win-now mode. They have to. There's no... And so you'd think in order to be in win-now mode, you have to add players to make a title push. And they, and they have not done anything in the slightest to suggest that. Not one move has said, okay, we're going to go and make a push. They're, all, they're clearly accepting, uh, accepting that the Courage are going to be the best team again. Because it's Mark Skinner, you're going to have your work cut out for you, buddy. Good luck. Because I don't see this team, a new coach, new manager. How is this team going to play together? I, d I just don't know. Yes, you have some good players. Carson Pickett, Danny Weatherholt. There are some good players there. But Alana Kennedy. But you can't just rely on your starters. You're going to be put to the test. Again, especially the World Cup year. Every single one of those players. Kennedy... Harris, Morgan, Marta will be gone. And you traded away Nairn. So where does that where is that gonna leave you? And you didn't draft anyone. Monica's gone. Who is who is going to play in Orlando? Like who is going to be there? It's gonna be uh it's gonna be a tough sight to watch. I do not anticipate good things to come for Orlando this year. And that's a shame because they have a brand new stadium, they have a passionate fan base, they deserve better. Every uh, fan base in the NWSL deserves better, honestly. Um, I mean, Portland maybe doesn't necessarily deserve better because they're they're amazing. They always show up to every game, and and they really pack the house. So th so they're great. But every other fan base, you know, deserves to have the a great product out on the field. And w and when it doesn't happen that way, uh, you know, it, it it's unfortunate. Some actual good news for Sky Blue. They were they actually managed to re-sign an important player. Sarah Killian has been with the team uh, for four years. This will be her fifth. A true professional, clearly committed to the club. And one would think maybe, just maybe, that if she is willing to commit, then other players may be willing to follow suit. Either the Either the club itself has, has promised that they will turn things around and she trusts them or she's just that high level of professional that all that stuff doesn't matter to her. Either either way, it's a big, big uh, move for Sky Blue to re-sign a player like her because she's, she's always been quality. She was a top pick of theirs a couple years ago and uh, th that's good because it, it'll give an indication of other players who may or may not be looking to join uh, Sky Blue that it may not be the worst thing in the world to go play out there if they get the infrastructure and everything else fixed. All right, one final move. Of course, uh, Stephanie LeBay to the Courage. All right. Can we just, I mean, I understand. Normally, I would say 
especially in sports, like, okay, we still have to play the games. There's still a lot to uh, still a lot to happen, right? We haven't even gotten to the season yet. But how are they allowed? Is this even allowed? How can they add Stephanie LeBay to the Courage, one of the best keepers in the world? How? They were already good enough. Caitlin Rowland and Sabrina D'Angelo were solid already. And you add LeBay to this team. I mean, if they, if they don't get to at least the NWSL final and win, it'd be a disappointment. It would be for this team. Because now there is not one hole that you can poke into this team. I don't I don't see it. I I don't see it. I've been saying it. I will continue to say it that this team is is set up to create a dynasty in the NWSL. And no one seems to be no one else around the league uh seems to want to push the envelope here to to try and get in their way. Well, I think Portland believes in their core group of players. I think Portland is probably the team with the best opportunity to defeat them because of what they have but even they have to add another piece Amandine Henri right was a major piece for that team the type of world-class player who can really open things up in a game and provide that extra bit of quality and that was something that made a difference for Portland the year that they did win it all two years ago uh and Celeste Bure is great but they need that one more quality player if they want to really be on the same level as the Courage, who are just so incredibly deep and complete right now. And the, and the other thing is this, is while there will be high expectations for the Courage, Paul Riley and his staff, they don't allow that level of expectation to overwhelm them. They're going to maintain that one game at a time mentality and they won't be stopped. Right? They take it one game at a time. They love the process. They trust the process and how hard they work. But, yeah, the Courage are uh, set up to, to do big things again this year, and it's going to be tough to beat them. And I think they have a great opportunity to not just win it all, but to maybe go undefeated. I'm saying it. I'm actually saying it, and I don't say it that lightly. I really don't. I, I've never been, been like, yeah, this team is fully capable of, of not losing a game, especially in, in soccer, because you can always be the best team you can be the better team and not necessarily win the game. Because if you don't put the ball in the goal, that doesn't matter. But they play so such good team f- team soccer at, at everywhere that they're going to be very, very tough to beat. One final piece of American soccer news. Well, an American making big waves over in England, Janine Becky formerly of Sky Blue, scored the decisive penalty kick for Manchester City in the Continental Cup against Arsenal. That's a pretty big deal considering, you know, where she was before being at Sky Blue, being in in the situation where the infrastructure was was so poor compared to going to a big club like Manchester City. She's winning trophies. You, you know, that's what it's about. You got to she's got to be very very excited to be able to have that opportunity and for her to have the the nerve and and the confidence and and the mental toughness to score the decisive penalty in what was a closely contested cup tie final uh hats off to you janine becky you uh have always had quality and and it's great to see an american making an impact over in england because it's something that's happened quite frequently 
over the last couple of years. And, and Becky was not someone, I think, who initially people thought, like, okay, she's the kind of player who would go to England, but she's made a definite impact while being, while being there. So, again, happy for her, and hopefully we have more Americans continue to do the same. And now a word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym, getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. Again, cannot uh, talk enough about what compre- uh, about what Topical Gear is doing. And again, go to www.compressioninmotion.com. They've got some great products out there and relatively affordable as well. Okay, it is time for the last portion of our show, the so- social media and lifestyle section. And a lot has happened uh, in terms of the NWSL, the league. Just overall, you're looking at the fact that the NWSL, weeks before the season is starting, weeks before, you know, we're, we're again trying to make, not we, but they are trying to make themselves as legitimate as possible, right? They drop the TV deal with Lifetime. Now look, we got to be real here for a second. It wasn't going anywhere with Lifetime, Okay. Uh, they they were not providing any real value. I don't think it was a great look to have, uh, you know, those soapy, romantic movies playing right before a game of intense soccer. I don't think, like, people were thrilled to have to wait for, you know, wait for the l- lifetime pregame coverage to, to see some random, you know, movie with, like, C-grade actors. I don't think that's what people were, were into, and it just... W- while the idea was there and and it was a good idea in in theory to have it you know uh, to have a network that has primarily female viewers to to have the soccer there it 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 made sense on paper but it just did not work out however the timing the timing makes absolutely no sense this needed to happen way sooner so that you actually had time to find a new network and a new TV deal how? Like, what are you going to do now? The, the matches will now be streamed on Yahoo Sports. and But, like, are we going to get any national TV games this season? That's huge. That is so, so huge. How can we be legit? How can this league, the NWSL, be legit as possible if we're in year, you know, we're almost coming up on, you know, this is year, what, six, seven, and we don't have a TV deal? Look, I look at... Honestly, when I see the WNBA, which is probably the most popular uh, sport in, in, on the women's side and how they've grown here in America because they got the deal with ESPN. And even though, yeah, it's on ESPN too, 
they have just trusted the process and stuck with it and stuck with it. And now, you know, more and more people are are readily going to and watching WNBA games. There needs to be a steady entity behind the team uh, in order for it to truly grow and, and get to a place that it needs to. The onus will now fall on Amanda Duffy, who was recently just named the president of the NWSL, and she has a tremendous opportunity in front of her to create a very special legacy as the first female commissioner in Major League Sports and take the league further. So she has an opportunity to do so much if she can land some sort of TV deal before the season is over. So we really hope that she can get that done because she has done so much already, and from where she's started off to where she is now, she has a tremendous opportunity to not only make a name for herself, but take the NWSL to the next level. Now, earlier on in the show, I mentioned how we were going to talk about Olivia Moultrie and her decision to forego her eligibility and now sign with Nike, having signed an agent as well. And we saw her get a nice little cameo in that awesome Nike commercial narrated by Serena Williams about the double standard that women have to face all the time, not only in sports, but in life. And, uh, yeah, every time you see a commercial like that, you can only just smile and and really appreciate uh, how great Nike did with putting out a commercial like that. But I will say one thing about Olivia Moultrie, and it's that she really has an opportunity here to, to be a trailblazer for, for women's soccer. And there are a lot of people, on, you know, we noticed from social media when we posted about it on our Instagram page that, you know, some people are saying, oh, you know, she's she's got to be having fun. I hope she doesn't crack under the pressure. I hope she enjoys what she's doing. Or some people are saying she should be worrying about an education. And to some extent, they aren't wrong because you do need an education and there will be an, a life outside of soccer. But, and I definitely used to be one of those people. I used to think that, you know, how, it is so vital in order to get that education. But at the same time, who says you need to go to college from from when you're 18 to 22, like it's what most of us do. It's kind of what we're told to do in, in today's society. But at the end of the day, if you really want to do something, you'll make it happen, right? Like what's stopping you from going back to school, taking online classes, getting a degree at age 30, 40, 50. There are people out there that do it. Athletes do it all the time. They, they may leave a year or two early from college just to go pro. And all they need to do is go back to school in the summertime right when during the off season there's there's nothing stopping you what society thinks and what society expects of you is really the only thing getting in the way and if you're not worried about what other people think then you know just do you that's that's really all that matters in this situation and that's what she's going to do and if you understand who she is and after getting the chance to talk to her uh, a couple episodes ago and interviewing her and, and seeing what she's about. And this also goes back into what uh, Fredo said earlier in the interview on the show. It's that they, she really, her and her family, they, they love this wholeheartedly. And like the, the idea that she's going to crack under pressure is ridiculous to me because everything that they're doing is fun to them. Every, they truly enjoy the process of what it takes to get there. Right, Fredo said mentioned how she is a total perfectionist, and it is such a passion for all of them. And when you're that driven, right, and you have a focus on a singular goal like that, nothing is going to stop you. There's nobody's going to get in the way of that as long as you focus on you. And she still has so much time to grow. That's the thing. At age 
13. Like she's only going to get bigger, better, stronger. But also just to go from thinking about playing at the collegiate level at age 11 to going pro at age 13. I mean, it takes a tremendous amount of confidence and self-belief and just the courage to say, all right, because it's a risk. Of course it's a risk. And and I'm sure it'd be, it'd be scary for anyone to say, oh, you know, any, you know, because, you know, anything can happen. The, you know, this world's crazy. But that does not mean that you should stop yourself from living your dreams and chasing what is important to you. And she ha- she hasn't just said, um, I'm just going to, you know, she's not trying to just be a professional player. She's trying to be one of the all-time greats in this sport. And when you have a goal like that to kind of push towards, you know, who is going to get in your way? Who is going to stop you? I I don't see anyone, you know, she. I think she is more than mature enough to be able to block out all of the, the noise and negative energy that will surround her because... You know, I don't see any anything stopping her. She has seems to have a tremendous uh, amount of of mental fortitude and her head on her shoulders, and she's going to be just fine. So whatever anyone else is saying about her, I don't buy it for one second. And again, she can go back to college anytime she wants. She can go to school anytime she wants to get a degree. That's that's definitely not the issue. So and you know, we wish her the best of luck going forward because we certainly believe that she's capable of, of a lot and she will, I think. I don't think there's much of a doubt that she's going to be um, a really, really great player one day. Now our last story of the day is she believes Hero was awarded uh, for 2019 McKenna Woodhead. Uh, really just in a truly inspiring story she got the opportunity to meet with Tobin Heath before the England match and there's you know videos everywhere all over the internet about Tobin Heath talking with her and how she feels inspired by what McKenna has been able to do uh she even was like yeah uh mom I give you permission to to give her my number and and to call uh, Tobin up anytime just to talk about anything, and that's I mean obviously a class act. Is you know Tobin Heath is is so awesome in in, in that way, uh, for her to be able to do that. But to hear McKenna's story, you know she was unfortunately paralyzed from a jet skiing accident from the chest down, but instead of feeling sorry for herself, she just continued to fight and show strength in everything that she does day in and day out. She was going skiing, tried rugby exercising the muscles that she can control I mean really most people would fold mentally and and say woe is me and wallowing in the in their own self-pity about how they can't do anything but she is not letting that stop her in any way and if you don't find that inspiring I really don't know what is and so that really just goes into into what we said uh previously about Olivia Moultrie you know if you want to do something really it's about training your mind to tell yourself you can do anything and and the body will follow right if you can get yourself in in the right headspace to not be negative and, and to think positive and to move forward and not think about what's happened in the past you can do anything that you want to do and that's really the biggest takeaway from this story and we are incredibly inspired by McKenna Woodhead and what what really she's been able to overcome and what and just at that age to be able to do it. I mean, just to see some incredible young girls just continue to inspire, you know, a lot of different people around the world. It truly, truly is something special. So McKenna, thank you for your effort and, and what you've been able to do because you have done so, so much already. 
uh, for young girls out there, and we hope you continue to inspire and spread your message of positivity. All right, that is it for episode 14 of Give and Go. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, it's been, you know, we, we said a lot this episode, but, you know, with the U.S. Women's National Team, NWSL, so much with Olivia Moultrie. We had the interview with Frito Sainz, and we hope we you really, really enjoyed everything that we're bringing to you and will continue to bring to you. Make sure you go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram, at Girls Soccer Network, and our Twitter handle is at Girls Soccer Net. Again, Give and Go is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. All right, I am your host, Rotas Wadera. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we, we'll be back in two weeks, so be sure to tune in again. Thanks, guys.